Volume. Previously on La Duma High. If an assassination happens and anyone investigates it, then they can also be assassinated. Yes, yes. Including a ward councillor. Yes. Including a journalist. Yes. So what is one meant to do about that? I don't know. I think it, 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 it's, it's, it, it, it's the issue of the police uh, officials uh, coming up with a plan. Welcome to season two of Alibi. The story we are telling this time is called Laduma High. I'm Paul McNally. This is episode five of a six-part podcast series. We are exploring the brutal assassination of Priscilla Mdunu and why it has been several years and the police still haven't made any kind of arrest. I am lying spread-eagled on my bed, wearing all my clothes and my shoes and staring up at the ceiling. I'm still in Pietermaritzburg and the tension from working on this story is starting to stifle my breath. I realize occasionally that I've been holding my breath for an undetermined length of time. It's from nerves, it's from kind of a sick tension. My phone is lying beside me on the bed and I'm ready to make a call. It's 5 p.m. I'm staying in my usual guest house. It's one of those places where you are in the spare room of a family home. You can't quite hear it on the tape, but a pet parrot has been let out of its cage in the lounge so no guests can enter while it is swooping around. This is a good time to take stock of where we are with the story. In the last episode, I visited three important people. First, Dlamini, an ex-member of Laduma's school governing body, who served while Priscilla was alive. He was adamant that he wanted Priscilla as the acting head, and after she was assassinated, feared for his own life. Next, I met Ward Councillor Ngubu. She was at the crucial meeting with Priscilla weeks before she was assassinated, where no teachers were invited and Priscilla appealed for help, but to no avail. And lastly, I finally got to chat with Principal Mahaba at Georgetown High School, the guy with all the trophies, if you remember. He took the acting principal job straight after Priscilla was killed. He left after a few months citing the teachers as his main reason for leaving. I take a breath and prepare myself for the next new development. I've learned that Priscilla's family have hired a private investigator to help with solving this case. If anything, this shows a complete lack of faith with the police, but also it reveals a kind of desperation. I pick up my phone and call Priscilla's sister, Zanile, who is handling the private investigator, to see what she has to say. Hello. Hi, Zanile. How are you? I'm fine, yes. You know, I think it's important for us to talk and I can get a handle on what you've been doing. I know that you employed a private investigator, is that right? Are you still in contact with him? Yes, I am. 
Do you think it would be possible for me to speak to him as well? No, 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 you can't. Because it's a private effect. No, I know, I understand that. But I think, I mean, I, I think for us... I can't give you the, 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 the my private investigator because the name says it's a private. So it's our private, not the public. No, I no. can't give you the... the in, in my private investigator, I can't give you the information that you got. Okay, okay, that's fine. Did you manage to um, get in contact with the man from KZNCC so he could vouch for me? Did you speak to him? Yes. And what did he say about me? We are speaking about Reverend Giddy, who we met in a previous episode and who initially introduced me to this case. He knows you. He knows me, yeah. You know, this thing is, is very is very sensitive. So I can't repeat it now and again and again because I, it hurt me so much. I know. I understand that. Yes, yes. I know. I know. And since, and since, since there, there's no one arrested, I'm still bleeding. I'm still, still my heart is bleeding about it. So I, I, don't, I, I don't want each and every day to talk about it because it's hurting. And I, and I was traumatized about, about it. I know. You see? Mm-hmm. No, I know. That is why I said, I, I think that the information that you got from Tandy and that student is, is, is enough. She keeps saying the information that I've collected is enough and she shouldn't need to give me any more. The problem is, is that the police, especially the investigating officer who's on it now, doesn't have an interest in the case. What is the, the information they had before? It's, well, it's in the docket, but there's no one now looking at the docket. That's the problem. But the docket is there. The docket is there, but no one is investigating it now, right? They're hiding something because they know you better. You want to expose them. Well, this is what I'm trying to find out. So Yes, they, try- hide, they, hide, they hide something. They're yeah. hiding something. I think so. I, I don't know, but maybe there's something. I don't know what happened with this case. Because they are playing hide and seek, you don't know why. But maybe, maybe it is. They are playing. They are playing hide and seek. This is a, over a year now. I know. One year, six months, but no one arrested. I know. I know. So I think, I think the, I think you're right. I think someone is trying to hide something. Yes, it seems as if um, maybe there's some bribery. Perhaps. Perhaps. Um, yes, yes. When I met with Bengu at the police station in a previous episode, he said they received information from Zanile's private investigator. But she disagrees with this violently. They are lying. They are lying. Did the private investigator give, her, give them information? N- nothing. But then how do they know that you've got a private investigator? Yeah, I told them. You told them? Yes. She thinks that at a station level, they should abandon the case and simply move it to province. Because this is a high-profile case, yeah. and it seems as if there's an organized crime. Yes. So they can't, they can't deal with this case in the, just a normal police station. This case is supposed to be go to provincial. Provincial. Yeah, that hasn't happened. What I'm talking about is the police station, the police or the investigators, the public investigators. Okay. They didn't give, give us any information or any updates about this case. Okay, yeah. They're not investigating the case. 
Yeah, they, 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 we don't have any updates about it. They just sit down and relax because there's nothing happened. Because our, our sister was like a dog. They killed, they killed the dog. How can they kill the, the, the female with a piece of chalk in play in her hand with 19 bullets? 19 bullets in front of Lena's. In front of Lena's. And shoot and shot the, the, the lady, 19 bullets. Hi. People are so helpless. Are so evil. Yeah, it's painful. I'm sure. Very, very painful. How can a man kill the lady just like that? Just like that. She's had 19 bullets. How can they do that? Yeah, it's fine. I give Zanile a couple of minutes to collect herself. Yeah. I'm emotional now. I'm sorry. That's okay. That's okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a very emotional topic. Yeah. I know. Yeah. Do you have an idea, in your opinion, do you have an about, idea of who did the... About the case? Yeah, who did, who did the crime? I don't have any idea about the case. I don't know any idea. I don't have any idea about it. I don't know. I'm asking you if you know. Oh, I don't know. How can I? I don't know. I just thought that maybe you... No, how can? How no, but... can? Because I was not even there at school. How can I know? Well, I the thought... tears of my sister. Maybe it was someone who... Maybe who, what? Who, maybe it was someone she spoke about who she thought, you know, who was an enemy. Uh, there's no such. There's no such. How can we hide the, the, the information we have after so many times for, for the whole year in six months if we know, if we know something about it? How can we do that? No, I didn't think you were hiding it. I thought maybe you told the police and they just hadn't done anything with it. Oh, we don't know anything about it. Okay. There's a lot of information that your kids, they know. There's a lot of information, but they hide it. Zanile has spoken to Bengu once. She doesn't trust the police, but she does trust Tandy from the school governing body at Laduma. The lady I spoke to in the first episode and Principal Mahaba from Georgetown said he didn't trust at all. There is never a clear consensus as to who is good and who is bad in this story. However, this call with Zanile is gut-wrenching. The family doesn't feel like they can move past the violence until the police make some progress. And from my own selfish perspective, what Zanile refuses to tell me is disappointing. There's a private investigator out there, another pair of hands that has been paid to dig into this case, but it doesn't look like I'm going to see their progress. This setback puts me into researching other examples of teachers that have been assassinated. And what is mind-blowing is that Priscilla's case isn't the only one of its kind. 
Even in Pietermaritzburg, there's another case in this tiny city, just like it. Priscilla's death isn't an anomaly. There are some artworks that I get get interested in. For instance, there's that one over there which just captures the the life. Can we go have a look at it quick? Priscilla isn't the only female teacher to have been assassinated in Pietermaritzburg. I meet journalist Sabu Mbotho in the Tantham Art Gallery in the centre of town to discuss another story. We start by him showing me his favourite piece of art in the gallery. This one here. I like this. I like the simplicity of it. The piece he's pointing out is a brightly coloured oil on canvas called Dambuza Clinic. This is a community setting, as you can see. Um, it looks a bit like where Laduma is. And this could be, <laughs> this could be, that could be Laduma, this could be... This could be Laduma, yes. But an element of familiarity about it. Um, it's... I like the community setting that it creates, um, that it gives me. And it's an everyday reality. Like a true journalist. (laughs) You come to an art gallery and you choose the most realistic looking painting. Yes. Look, I'm not going to do abstracts. I didn't... (laughs) Zabu reported upon the murder of a principal, Nakutula Magwanyana. She was assassinated a couple of years before Priscilla. So this particular afternoon, we came across a story that a woman uh, had been killed. And subsequent to that, we then followed it up big time. That was the first major story of a principal getting killed. We had never come across something like that. Even though you may have heard that uh, being a principal is a, is, a, is a risky job. A crucial parallel with Laduma is that there were clear warning signs and these were all ignored. Prior to her killing, she had been receiving threats. Um, there was, I think there was even a writing on the school wall where the writing was, get out or else you will die. Turns out that a couple of days later, she then gets killed. That is how strong the message was. The graffiti is truly spectacular. It is huge in red paint across the front of a classroom, names the murdered teacher personally in large letters, and die is written around a picture of a gun. Villa Maria is a primary school. There was a level of expectation that some kind of arrest would be effected uh, within that period of time. However, as, as the days and weeks continued, not much was heard of uh, mm-hmm. in relation to that. In fact, it appears as if the, 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 the police just reached a dead end. However, the killing itself was less ostentatious than the one at Laduma. There were no witnesses, and it was made to look like a bodged hijacking. There were, there were some pictures that, that, that were taken at the scene. Um, yeah, it, it, was not, it was not a pretty sight, I can tell you that. And when you take those pictures and then you, you compare them with the, with the ordinary pictures of a person when they were still alive, it, it gives an indication that her death was very violent. Mm-hmm. It, was, it was quite bad, yeah. 
And then the, then the discussion started that, but this is not just a, this is not a unique case. Mm. These are uh, regular occurrences within the education system where the, 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 the tussle for the position of principal is so intense that people are willing to kill for it. This second killing happened in August 2015, and Sabu and his colleagues covered the story until the end of that year. Generally, being a reporter is dangerous. Doing a case like this is dangerous. Because when you, when you are writing a story about an attack on, on a person by some faceless individuals, you do not know, and, and that's the problem, when you do not know who the attackers were, you, you do not know whether you are also marked as a person that's reporting mm. on, 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 on these developments. So it was, it, was a, it was quite, it was not an easy story to do. Mm. Let, me, let me put it that way. Um, in as much as we, pu we put on brave faces, but it wasn't an easy story. And though this killing didn't happen in front of students, like at Laduma, the young kids at the school were, of course, devastated. On the, on the morning when we, when we went to the school, the kids were just, they were just, they were hysterical. There was, you could see the level of, of hurt mm. that they were feeling. Um, you got a sense that this teacher was not just a principal, but was a mother figure to them. Mm. And for, for them to then be made to understand that she made her death and in this most brutal of fashions was something that was really difficult for them to, 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 to accept. Sabu and I wander around the gallery for a little longer, a little aimlessly. He is clearly shaken from talking about the case. Putting it side by side with Laduma makes us both afraid for teachers everywhere. He wishes me luck and I head back to Johannesburg. Assassinations in South Africa have a wide historical and political context. So I approach academic and journalist Richard Pidas. We heard from him in a previous episode while in Joburg for more of an explanation. In KwaZulu-Natal, it is undeniable that the police are complicit in what's happening. Um, I did speak to some police officers there who had been involved in um, policing political violence in the 1980s. And they said to me very clearly, this will never get resolved at the policing level unless you bring police officers who are completely you know, outside the province. Right. So people from elsewhere who are not linked in with local networks and you give them the mandates and the resources to investigate it. Otherwise, it's not going to happen. So many people have been shocked and even a little unbelieving when I've described to them Priscilla's case. They are often unaware of the level of violence in the country, especially how it could affect the acting principal of a high school. But I think it's important to acknowledge that there was very little interest in this. You know, basically poor working class African people being killed, and there's a spatial dimension to this, so it's happening in a township or in a shack settlement. 
just hasn't, re- well, for a very long time anyway, wasn't really of any interest to an elite public or to the mainstream media. I mean, it sounds, you're saying that that's changed now. People have a more of an appetite for it. Do you, do you have a sense of why that's that's happened? Well, I, th- I think the, the Morena Commission definitely helped to get persuade the media to take it seriously. The Morena Commission we have talked about in a previous episode. It was a widespread inquiry and report into the extreme violence in KwaZulu-Natal. Elite society in South Africa generally just doesn't care about those people. Mm. Just doesn't. But you see, what started to change towards the end of the Zuma years was that the kind of political thuggery that is completely normalized in KwaZulu-Natal, and I really do mean it is completely normalized. I mean, it's very common, for instance, if a group of women in a community get together and say they want to hold a meeting to discuss an issue about housing or something like that. It's very common for the first thing that happens to be the ward councillor showing up with five or six heavily armed men and to then proceed to threaten to kill those people. I've seen that numerous times. Now, that's, that kind of thuggery has not been of any interest to most academics, NGOs, most newspapers in South Africa, mm. because it's some other people somewhere else. And the assumption always was that that part of society is backward. And, you know, the NGO space, the academic space, the elite newspapers, that's the leading edge of society. And eventually enlightenment will trickle down (laughs) to those spaces. But in fact, what happened when the Zumias was the other way around. The forms of politics that were allowed to develop in those spaces captured society as a whole. Mm. And when it became apparent that those kinds of political thuggery in a much less serious way were starting to affect elites... You know, academics had their computers stolen by the state or there were strange break-ins at NGOs. Or there was just a sort of debasement of political discourse in a more kind of threatening direction. I think elites in South Africa started to realize that actually if people are getting killed in a place like I mentioned earlier, like Kwandengezi in, in Durban, it's not entirely irrelevant to what's happening in Santa. President Jacob Zuma, following incessant corruption charges, resigned from office in February 2018 and was replaced by Cyril Ramaphosa. Do you think now that Zuma's gone, that will change anything? Do people, should they feel any kind of optimism about the situation? Is it just the wheels have come off, it's too late? I would hate to make an overly sweeping statement, but I do think that political thuggery has been so normalized in KwaZulu-Natal, and especially in some places like, I don't know, Wembezi and Escort or parts of Durban, that it's almost impossible to imagine that someone could get into that position of authority without having a capacity to generate fear. Mm. I mean, you know, in Russia, journalists turn up dead in the back alley, you know? That was where we were going. Mm. I, I don't think Ramaphosa would, would like to do that. I mean, and, and I think he will take steps when he can, but his power is limited within the ANC, to move us away from that. And sometimes one or two small interventions can make quite a big difference, you know, an arrest, removing a corrupt police officer. These kinds of things can make a difference. 
I guess the real question will be what happens when it becomes clear that Ramaphosa can, you know, stop corruption in state-owned enterprises and things like that. That's already happening. But people are going to still remain unemployed and impoverished. Mm. You know, how do you manage that? Now I start thinking, where does this leave us with regards to who did this crime? Who ordered the killing and who pulled the trigger on Priscilla? In terms of the assassin, we have been told he is from a place called Inanda, 20 kilometers outside of Durban. He is of a slight build, mid-twenties, and working with someone with dreadlocks who had tribal scars. All this was described to us by Sia. As for the suspects who had ordered the killing, Sia outlined three teachers, Kamalo, who owns taxis and a tuck shop, Miss Gabella, who followed me around the location in the first episode, and Monica, who has been openly accused of being involved by members of the family. Dumisani, Sia's police officer father, told us that it is highly unlikely that one person worked alone in ordering this hit. A source within the police has told me, according to cell phone records, Kamalo and Miss Gabella were texting each other furiously on the day of the killing. But that could have been about something else completely unrelated. One man who is outspoken and was very close to the situation was Principal Mahaba at Georgetown High School. The guy with all the trophies, if you remember. He took the acting principal job at Laduma directly after Priscilla was killed. The teacher who Mahaba says has been the prime suspect, at least anecdotally, has been Monica. The main reason why people, particularly the family, have so strongly accused her is that after Priscilla was killed, Monica was the logical senior person to replace her. But in practice, she didn't replace her. Mahaba did. Here I am, speaking to him in his office. And people actually accused her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, really? Yeah, that was the, the story. Yeah. Even to her if, face? Again, if they were happy about her acting, there was no point of recruiting me to go to that school. Oh, if they were happy with her acting? Yeah. Acting, yeah. 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 There was no they would have just had her. Yeah, you see now, because now of this rumor that she must be, she might be behind this thing. Hence then, they recruited me to say and go and stabilize this school. Do you think it's possible to speak to her? Yeah, I think. Do you have her number? Yeah, I do have yeah, my numbers. Okay, and do you mm. think she would be, if I go and try and speak to her about this, what do you think she'll say? I think again, you might get her version. And maybe she's going to give us the version, say, between her and Priscilla. Was there any time where there was a there were a lock ahead, and why she she think she was accused of such murder? Mm. Yeah, and that is what we are going to be doing in the next and final episode, talking to the main suspect. We are going to try and sit down face to face with the teacher that we've been calling Monica and ask her if she did it. <laughs>
been listening to episode five of Alibi's second series called La Duma High. We are taking six episodes to look into the brutal assassination of a high school teacher and how after so long, there have been no arrests. This podcast has been written, edited, and produced by me, Paul McNally. Thanks to Gavin Haynes, Kyla Hermanson, Jeff Kelly Lowenstein, Tom McNally, and Stelz Desoy for their editorial oversight. This episode was mixed by Gwinch Sarame. The music for this series was composed by John Bartman. This episode was produced by Volume and is available wherever you get your podcasts, from Apple to Spotify, but particularly at www.volume.africa/alibi. Here you will also find our first series that tracked a possible wrongful conviction. Finally, we want to thank our publishing partner, Arena Holdings, publishers of the Sunday Times, timeslive.co.za, Business Day, Financial Mail, and the Sowetan, and their head of multimedia, Scott Peter Smith, for supporting the project and pulling all the pieces together on their platforms. Next time on La Duma High. But I'm saying, I am the suspect. I have been investigated, but nothing is linking me to the killing. Mm-hmm.